0: Welcome to the Arrive and Thrive podcast. I'm your host, Tyson Day, alongside Daniel Linardi. In our podcast, we interview guests that bring a fresh perspective on topics that are vital for you to thrive in your life and career. Our approach is casual and always curious. Through our guest insights and our debriefs, we hope to help you develop a career full of purpose and meaning. In this episode, we talk to Regare Gomo about his journey as an international student here in Melbourne. If you're an international student and you need some study support, you can contact Study Melbourne Student Centre on 1800 056 449. You can also visit studymelbourne.vic.gov.au. Thanks. We hope you enjoy the episode. Another episode of Arrive and Thrive. We have Regare Gomo for the second time. Yay! It's great <laughs> to be with the boys. <laughs> Unfortunately, the first time listeners, uh, it was completely my fault, I um, pulled out the mics because I loved your story so much, so I wanted to listen to him again, Uh, so we've got him around for the second time, so Rigari, welcome again. Thank you so much for having me, I'm excited to share
1: my story and hopefully be a contribution to the listeners. Yeah, absolutely,
0: so um, first of all, so Rigari, what are you involved in at the moment?
1: So what am I involved in at the moment? So I'm a high performance coach, I'm a lawyer, and I'm a philanthropist and a keynote speaker. Those are the kind of titles people relate to me as. But what I am using my life for really is to empower and enable people to live a wondrous life. So Mm -hmm. that's what I use my life up for. And then I determine the best vehicles to bring that to life. So, one of my vehicles to bring that to life is through the Goma Foundation, where we provide scholarships for girls to go to school mm-hmm. um, in Zimbabwe um, with the intention of, you know, girls being able to, you know, stay in school longer, reduce pregnancies, not have early marriages, you know, be across health and nutrition. So, that's one of the vehicles. Um, I use to ensure that girls in Zimbabwe and then hopefully through the African continent I empower to live a wondrous life in that regard. Mm. And then um, my second um, major, major part of my life is um, as a high performance coach. Yep. So I work with uh, business owners and the entire company mm-hmm. to create extraordinary organisations. Yep. What I mean by that is when I'm working with a business owner, I'm really creating leaders, mm-hmm. empowered leaders that are there to start living a legacy, and when I say living a legacy, it's living it right now. Yeah, not Someday, one day.
0: Yep. So... What, what's your legacy at this point? What's my legacy? <laughs> Big question. Five <Four laughs> minutes in. <laughs> my legacy at this point.
1: So, you know, some of the, the things people say to me is, thank you so much, I'm free. Yep. You know, I got an opportunity to be free from fear that I've had or you know thank you so much I get to generate wealth for the first time and I'm now able to look after my mom and my dad you know thank you so much you know I've come from living in commission flats to yeah. being the first in my generation to go to university I'm 24 mm-hmm. years old I started a business and mm-hmm. you know I've got a commitment so that my mom and dad don't live in that thank you for showing me how to get out of that so for me what my legacy right now is is people being Um, able to live their full human potential Mm. for
2: what they didn't see was possible for themselves right now. Love it. Absolutely love it. It's a big line. Yeah, it's great. It's a huge line. Mm. Mm. Can you unpack it? Yes. (laughs) How would you like me to unpack it? (laughs) Well, you said helping people live to their full human potential, but of themselves that they can't see right now. Yes so as human beings we all have dreams like as a child
1: we've always had dreams you know you what is one of your dreams i reckon when i was young you maybe thought i wanted to play afl yeah you want to play afl yeah mm -hmm. you know and right now you might think you might not want to do that Mm. and that's fine you might not still have the dream Mm. but there's a whole context about you know bringing that dream to life and existence you know and then life happens so as a child you wanted to play afl then what's happened that you don't have the dream right now
2: Probably just wasn't good enough, didn't work hard enough. Clear. Okay. Well, that's what you might think is in the way. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> so what you just said is a very common, you know, response, you know, many of the people I work with would say. But when we come to look down at it, you know, there's a whole context of what AFL represented to you. There was a vision that you had, there were values that you constituted as yourself, you know. And then you might feel you might not be able to do that right now. However, it may still be right in there in your heart. Mm. So my job is to really unlock what you you already know is inside of you. Mm. Because as we get older, we keep on making decisions. No, I can't do the AFL, I'm too old. I'm now 20, I'm now Mm. 30, I can't pursue that. Of my mortgage, I've now got five children. Mm. So the dreams that we have inside of us, then become like a fantasy Yeah. Mm. so part of my job is that I allow people to dream again yeah. so you shatter
0: limiting beliefs correct mm. Mm. love it and so because I think for me personally I find a lot of inspiration from your story when I first met you and the live projects with Study Melbourne I'd love for the listeners to understand elements of your story and, and, and I think from your story it's clear why you are such an inspirational figure for for so many people Um, so if you could if you could share I suppose where it all began in terms of uh, your your journey sure to where you are now I think our listeners and I don't know myself and Dan would get a lot out of it second time around (laughs) yeah (laughs) so you know my name
1: is Rukare and it's not a typical Aussie name (laughs) (laughs) yeah I suspect it's not a typical Aussie name. (laughs) (laughs) So, I'm from Zimbabwe originally, so that's where I grew up. And I grew up in a family that, you know, my mum was a nurse by profession, but she was one of the first women in the early 90s going out in community talking about HIV and AIDS in a society where you don't talk about sex. Mm. You know, my dad um, was trained as a pastor, but he's passion really was youth leadership programs. So he wasn't working for a church, but he was working for an organization where it was all about developing youth so that youth are empowered. So what it looked like on a day-to-day basis in my home was, you know, people in the community who were dealing with stuff would come to my mom and my dad. You know, somebody would find out that they're HIV positive and they, you know, there's lots of stigma. What would they come and talk mm-hmm. to? My mom and my dad about it. Mm-hmm. Where would they stay at the night? With us. Yep. You know. My dad had street kid programs. So from time to time, we had street kids come and stay with us. So my mom and dad also trained us, all the children, on how to be with people, Mm. in essence. So that was part of my upbringing, being with all sorts of people. Mm. And so it really fostered um, a culture where anybody, every person is valuable. There is isn't a hierarchy of people. We're just all dealing with stuff. Mm. in life. Whether you're in the Western world or in Zimbabwe, Iraq, we all have different circumstances. So that is kind of the upbringing that I had. As a result, from time to time, people would come and intern in my mum or my dad's organisation and come and stay with us. So we had people from Australia, the UK, mm. um, Canada, the USA. And for myself as a, a young boy. I loved it. It was like my access to the outside world, the sure. world yeah. that was like impossible for me to get into inside of, you know, our family financial circumstances. So, yeah. you know, we always loved um, the foreigners coming out. Yeah. You know, I was th- I was that kid where, you know, if you came, I'd be playing with your hair, <coughs> touching your hair, sitting on your lap, yeah. you know, looking at curious curious yeah. about everything. If you opened your bag, I'd be like,
0: what's in that bag? I was
1: that person? Yeah. I probably still am. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's, just, it's funny you say that, because I was just going to say that the um, encounters that I've had with you, yes. I've always just been blown away by your curiosity. Mm. So I think that's, I don't know if you, you ever will lose that. Or I don't think so. Like even yeah. today,
1: you know, the three of us in here and you guys were chatting and I was just listening. So I am just curious to see what was going to arise in the conversation, the questions, <laughs> I'm always listening and yep. curious regarding what's going on around me and how people are thinking mm. in that regard. But that fostered, like, this desire to go out and explore something new for myself. Yep. You know, and, and so when I was 14 years old, you know, one of, I wrote a letter to who I call Uncle Andrew and... Hi <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Andrew Uncle <laughs> Andrew, you're famous, I talk about you all
0: the time <laughs> and you don't like me talking about you and I talk about you all the time because you're extraordinary
1: yeah. You know, I get this life because he was a person who said yes So I wrote this letter, Yep, you know, when I was 14 years old inside of a vision Mm-hmm. of getting an education i would not have had in zimbabwe yeah you know um part of my upbringing was reading a lot of books i read books like patricia conwell books the hardy boys the nancy drews like so many books and i was like i'd love to go on one of those adventures myself yeah so i remember writing in this letter you know i'd like to come to australia and i'd like to be a forensic scientist because patricia conwell had this you know, this character, Dr. Kaspenter, was a forensic scientist, and that never really existed in Zimbabwe. Yeah. So I was like, I'd love to be that. <laughs> awesome, so you had a dream really I on. had a dream. Yep. Um, and I didn't tell my mom and my dad. I didn't actually tell them that I made this request because in my culture, um, it's rude to, for a child to make a request from another adult without getting it approved by the parents. Yeah. But in my view at the time, I was like, I don't, I don't want anybody to be in my way this is my life so I'm just going to go for it so for three months I did not hear from Uncle Andrew and my heart is racing, thinking oh my god I've done something wrong and you met you know? Andrew because he was on internship yes I've known Andrew since I was five years old It took me to my first day of school we yep. we. Um, the first time I cooked and made burgers, you know, and stuff like mm. he's, he's part of the family, yeah. <laughs> and he was coming to Zimbabwe once a year. He'd come to Zimbabwe regularly once a year, once every second year since I was five years old, you know, and that's how the relationship grew. And we always loved having the Australians. The Australians were the most curious, you know. The Australians and the New Zealanders were always like free, unconstrained, curious about life, the culture. The food. So um, our family had a very strong love for Australia in that Mm. in that regard. So, you know, I didn't hear back from Andrew and I was like, oh my god, I've done something wrong, I'm gonna be in trouble, you know. And then one day my dad comes home and says, What's this about you going to Australia? And, uh, you know, in my cheeky green, you know, the green that, you know, I could get away with murder. (laughs) Dad, yes, you know I wrote a letter. And it's like, well he says Yes, You can come along and why not? And that yes altered my life. Yeah. Now, the thing that's amazing is that Andrew himself is not necessarily a wealthy person. You know, growing up in Zimbabwe, we think all people are, are wealthy. Mm. That's not necessarily the case, you know, but we have the mindset all white people are wealthy. Now, Andrew, I would say, is a middle class Australian. So um, he himself was already foster caring for other boys. Wow! You know, um, when I arrived in Australia, so he went to different schools. Explained my circumstance. One of the schools said, "Yep, why not? We've never had a Zimbabwean in the school." I got a part scholarship, and Andrew paid my school fees, which was six thousand dollars a year which is still a, a lot of money, mm-hmm. you know. He paid for my efforts to get here. Mm-hmm. He was my guarantor for my Australian visa. Yeah, wow. Um, you know, he went to the embassy and made them actually take in the application because they were actually closing and it was on a flight back to Australia. So he really was a person who was a demand for my future and my life to alter. Yeah. You know, Different schools say, no. The the government, government schools would not give an international student a scholarship, so he went to the next, then the next, then the next. So he <laughs> kept his word, he honoured his word. So of course my relationship with Andrew is mind-blowing because one of the things I've been trained by him inside of who he is for me is keep your word, find the ways to make it happen. And it wasn't necessarily easy for him, he's putting his money and resources for my life mm. in essence. You know, what a gift. Mm. It must have been a powerful message at that age. Yeah, completely. But not only that, Andrew was also was like, well, you're also responsible for finding the resources to come to Australia. Mm. <laughs> and I'm thinking, how could this man ask me that? Doesn't he get that on Zimbabwean? But you you know, were 14. Well. I was 14. Yeah. And that's how he's talking
0: to me. Mm. So it's encouraging ownership from the get-go. I
1: love that, yeah. and that's one of my my values: is ownership, being yep. responsible for my life, irrespective of the circumstances in every single moment. Mm. You know, that itself is another topic we can go into at another another stage. But you know, I really learned to start discovering, bringing things to life, irrespective of where I was born, irrespective of where I was brought up, irrespective with the resources that I had. There's always a way. That's the that was the possibility that Andrew gave to me that there's always a way mm. in that regard. So fast forward, you know, I remember I arrived in Australia, sixteen January two thousand and one. <laughs> you know, I remember being on an, a flight from Johannesburg to um, to Sydney, fifteen hour flight, and I did not move. At all because I was nice and polite. so I didn't even use the toilet because I was sitting in the middle seat. remember vividly. <laughs> 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 it's like I didn't want to be an inconvenience to anybody, so I just sat, slept, held my wee and <laughs> hope for the best. I wonder how <laughs> many people do that I feel like there'd <laughs> be a few people who do that It is overwhelming. Yeah. But what there is also to acknowledge is my mom, I remember, you know, I had to get my flight from Harare to Johannesburg. And my mum used her whole salary, her whole salary to get me there. Mm. And I don't know how they ate that month, mm. but inside of the vision, it was like you're getting on. We're going to find a way to get you from Johannes from Harare to Johannesburg, so that you can get your connecting flight from Jo'burg to Sydney. Yeah. You know, so it's there's so many people involved in getting me here. Mm. You know, my uncle who gave me my pocket money. Yeah. You know. Um, and so it comes back to that sense of community correct mm. it was like Rougarie has an opportunity this is a win okay. not just for me but for generations for a community for family mm. for my ancestors mm. for what's possible yeah. mm. so that's just the you know a snippet of you know yeah. coming to Australia yeah. <laughs> mm, absolutely. absolutely I think um,
0: that community factor is just
1: huge isn't it and, correct uh, so you and the, then inside of that you know here yeah. I am living you know, I'm in Australia. Yes, I speak English, but it's a whole new world. Yeah. I'd never used a dishwasher. Sure. I'd never used a microwave. I'd never used a washing machine. Yep. I didn't know what ducted heating is. Yep. I didn't know why the houses were built of wood, not brick. Yep. Yep. <laughs> you know, dedicated internet, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> it's a
0: whole new world. What a mind shift.
1: Completely. So, oh. you know, inside of that whole new world, it was also overwhelming a certain state and exciting because yeah. as you can imagine for a 16 year old boy this is an adventure So for me I had no reservations coming to Australia. It's like there's nothing to lose this is an adventure yeah. so it was my adventure and I created it and yeah. I'm winning at it right now yeah you know so then I went to a school called Kingswood College in Box South yeah. um, great school um, my first shock was that we didn't have to wear uniform. So we were already being treated as adults. Yeah. So we were responsible for dressing up properly so that we could get prepared to go to university in that regard. And also it was a co-ed school, so it was boys and girls, so it was like, what? Because I'd grown up in an all-boys school in, Zimbab- yeah. in Zimbabwe. So it was like, I'm dealing with girls yeah. as well, boys and girls. So it was really very new Yes. Um, being in a co-ed school yeah. as well. Mm. And I remember, <laughs> I don't know if I can say this, but one of the girls, I remember, was like, hi, um, looked at men and we were walking to our bi- biology lab she says, i always wanted to have black children. I was like, great! <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> so there's this, all these new conversations that I started yeah. learning, like, you know, dating yeah. was new, yeah. being forward, girls mm. and boys being forward with each other. It's a point you do not Date, you study. Yeah. <laughs> that was yeah. dating what? Yeah. You do not date. You're in the library, you're with your crew and you're studying because you better get into university. Forget about yeah. you know, girls, boys, any of that.
0: And that was year seven. That this is year ten. 10. Oh, sorry, year eleven for me. Oh year eleven, year sorry. eleven, yes. yes. Mm,
1: so this is year eleven. So the whole domain of dating did not show up for me at all. So I'm coming to yeah. school and people have boyfriends and girlfriends. So I'm like, what in the world is going on? Don't their parents know that? Um, this, the kids should be really focusing on their education. They're really lax parenting here. <laughs> <Yeah.
0: laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. What about you then? you um Was there a big dating thing going on in year eleven? Where um What yeah, school did you I think
1: in so? Very high. High
0: side. Second. High reckon. Yeah. Because I the reason I said year seven before yes. was because I remember going from primary school to year seven mm. and it was just like this whole different world of like, you're going to be my boyfriend or you're going to be my girlfriend. And it's like, oh, we, we've said like two words to one another mm. and yeah, it's just, it took me back for like that brief <laughs> second <laughs>
1: And you know, in Zimbabwe, you never talk about boyfriends and girlfriends yeah. with your parents. You, the only time you talk about a partner is the person you're going to get married to. Mm. Parents don't want to know anything about that, Yeah. And so there wasn't that openness. So I was mm. like, what? People are open about these things? Mm. And in year, As you said, in Year 7, not just in Year 11 for yeah, me, yeah. but people in Year 7 had boyfriends and girlfriends, so that was a whole new world. Sure. You know, I was shy. So the person you're talking to right now wasn't the person who arrived, mm. either. I was shy, I was quiet, I was very determined. So I've always been a very determined person, you know?
0: At what age do you think you were fully comfortable in your own skin? <laughs> or still, 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 still processed? So, very...
1: you just, you have phases, yeah. but I think one of my, my first was when, you know, coming to Australia, I didn't know I was gay. Mm-hmm. So part of me being shy was that I always, at some level, knew I was different, but I didn't have the, I didn't have the language for it. So my, my coming out was part of, you know, my journey of being comfortable in my own identity yep. and my sexuality, considering that I grew up in a Christian family, you know, so the context was being gay is wrong, being gay mm-hmm. is bad, being gay is evil, it shouldn't be that way. So I had, you know, that in the background, but I didn't even have language for it. I didn't even know I was gay mm-hmm. until I was 20, mm-hmm. that I started on my journey of, you know, being authentic, discovering who yeah. I am yeah. and allowing myself to discover who I yeah. am in a safe space. Yeah. You know, that was really scary um, mm. for me. Can so, imagine. that was one of the things that I was dealing with that I didn't really know I was dealing with, dealing with as a blind spot. Yeah. Which had me be reserved. Mm. That had me be quiet. That had me, you know, be cautious. Mm. So, I was always kind of like on high alert yep. because I didn't know how people were going to react to me mm. in essence. Mm. So, that was one of my, you know, my journey of being free to be myself. I'm yep. free to be myself. Yep. And of course, there are moments in life when it's like, oh my God, am I so good enough? But I can now catch myself and say, yeah. I'm, I'm in the lie right now. Yeah. But that's, you know, being human, we always are going to be dealing with stuff. I just have more mastery now in catching myself when I'm in a disempowering conversation
0: about myself. Yep. Yeah. That's a really, really valid point <coughs> because I think when, especially when people are making career transitions and, and um, opening up a new area of their life that they haven't necessarily been exposed to, there's always that question and that self-doubt that creeps in. Yes. And being able to stop yourself and actually go, no, hang on, this, I am worth it, or no, I can do this, or I will figure out a way, is incredibly powerful and an incredibly important skill in, mm. in any transition.
1: Mm. And you know, typically, as you in any transition, we're dealing with stuff. There's a reason why it's called a transition. Sometimes we might be feeling worthless. Sometimes we might be coming out from a really bad working situation, yep. or even coming out from a horrible, horrific relationship. Mm. So, we're in our most vulnerable times during that period of time, in in any case, you know, so it's really important being able to surround yourself with people that really see you for who you are, and not that. Particular circumstance, and I'm grateful for having people like that in my life. Mm. You know, as simple as I'll share with my friend Steve Cole, like, Oh, I want to do performing arts, but in Zimbabwe, you know, you don't do performing arts. How mm. is that going to give you a livelihood? Mm. You know, that's not the hardcore maths, physics, and chemistry, yep. or you know, or English literature, geography, and history, which leads you to a look for you know, to the path of being a lawyer. Mm. So. For me, it was like, oh, I'd love to explore that. And he yep. was like, go and audition, go right now, yep. you know? And so I'm grateful for having, you know, in my high school, it's moving, that in my high school, I had people who really looked out for me, who yep. pushed me beyond my own limiting beliefs, you know? And I got a main part in the performing arts, and I did that for the next two years, year 11, yeah. year 12, and that was fun, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I love performing. You know, I'm a drama queen from time to time. <laughs> 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 you yeah. Know. So I'm grateful for having friends like that. Or even Friday pizza night. Mm. Pizza night and beer. You know, that was a whole new concept. What? Drinking? Yeah. That is unheard of. You do not drink. <clears throat> You're meant to be studying. Yeah. I remember going to parties, you know, and, you know, after performing arts, you know, um, one of the parents would then host the after party and there'd be... Um, Alcohol, their food, pizza. I'm like, what the world is going underage drinking? This is very naughty. <laughs> I'm such a righteous bitch.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but
1: that's the context
0: I was coming from. Yeah. You know, yeah. my context is
1: edu- without education. Yeah. You know, um, you don't have life.
0: Because I suppose that were the values that you grew right. up. Correct. And so that was what you were exposed to. Correct.
1: not And nothing wrong, but I've yeah. now got to have freedom in yeah. being able to be with other people's visions and values rather than, you know, my vision and values are, you know, unitary or the homogeneous in that mm. regard. So part of me coming to Australia, I got the freedom to um, be in a multicultural society and be able to be with different kinds of people, you mm. know, other than my own. You know, most of the Zimbabwean culture would consider themselves Christian or you know, uh, practice ancestral beliefs. So it's very um, homogeneous in that regard. So coming to Australia, it was like the Christians, the Muslims, the the atheists. So I had to learn that. You know, one of my biggest challenges was that my major donors for my university, most of them were atheists. Mm. And I was like, atheists are making the difference. Atheists, but they're not (laughs) religious. How come they can choose to be nice and kind to me? Yep. Like that challenged my value. Beginning. That's a huge learning yeah, for a young person. You know, coming mm. from a culture where it's like, oh, you know, you are a good Christian boy. The Christians yeah. go out and do Christian works. Mm. You mm. know, so I I uh, it being in Australia made me grow quickly because what the um perception was was different from my reality. Yep. So. I had to be able to start rationalizing my reality because what I thought should be wasn't. Mm. To unpack that, you know, I would have expected more Christians to be the ones contributing to my school fees, you know, at university, yet it was people um, who were non-religious. So what did that communicate about humanity? Mm. (laughs) What does it, you know? So I had to actually question my beliefs, Mm. my value system, I had to question what people thought from? Like, actually start understanding the diversity of humanity. And I've now come to discover that we're all one. Mm. You know, Mm. we all have the same desires, we all have the same fears. The circumstances may be different, but really, you know, we're all one. Mm. Black, white, Muslim, Arab, you know, we're all one. But that's what coming to Australia has made available Mm. for myself. So when I relate to people, I'm like, we've got all the same. So colour, it, I forget I'm black when I'm in Australia, mm. actually, now. Um, I, I remember I'm black when I'm back in, actually, Zimbabwe or when I'm travelling on the African continent yep. because of what's showing up now. Mm. You know, my, the freedom just to be myself beyond colour. Mm. So that's mm. been one of the gifts Australia has given to me. Mm.
2: regarding how did you... <clears throat> how did you process a lot of that change like did you have support networks or did you read or did you just did you have a natural aptitude to process all that change from coming here And then making all those transitions, like you probably made ten or twelve transitions just in your first probably six months. Uh, You were a sixteen-year-old.
1: Correct. There were so many transitions that I don't even remember all of them because some of them you just adapt (laughs) immediately. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, I question. I my uncle, who I call Sekuru Todd, who's no longer with us. Unfortunately, he called me the Y boy. (laughs) You know, from a young age, I've always. Asked why, 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 why? Like you know, you've been, you know, I'm highly curious about things as you mentioned. Mm. So part of my life, I've been highly curious. Why, why, why is this happening? So and I have to get a resolution in that regard. So, um, many of as human beings, we get threatened by the the why because it was stepping into the unknown. But I had no choice because if I was going to fulfill on my vision, I had to step into the unknown and get a resolution. So that's what fueled me. I had something at stake to get that resolution. And then I was also asking people. So I had many different people, you know, during my time here in Australia that um, also contributed to me, um, who could see that I was struggling when I didn't even know I was struggling. So if somebody said, are you okay? I'll probably say, I'm fine, I'm fine, Mm -hmm. I'm fine. When really what's going on is like, I'm alone, I'm drowning, I don't know what's going on, you know? But there were, I called them my mothers, the mm-hmm. numerous mothers that contributed to me. Um, Margaret Kennedy, you know, when I finished my year 12, who drove me to Monash University to see if I had a place there. Yeah. Didn't even know. But thank God she knew the questions to ask. Yeah. I wouldn't know what questions to ask, yeah. you know, <laughs> and being able to get my place. And she was instrumental in asking the right questions and ensuring that I secured a place at Monash University in an arts law degree. Mm. Thank God you know, Sharon Walker who taught me to drive after work should come to where I live, you know, and in her, you know, light green master would take me for my driving lessons. And Janine, you know, would do the same as well. Mm. Thank God.
0: Yeah.
2: Mm. But
1: there were people who had foresight of what they knew that would empower me with tools mm. and were made themselves available. Yeah. For that. So there were many, many, many people who contributed to that. I had a safe space to live with Andrew, Uncle Andrew, mm. you know. That in itself makes a difference. I had yep. food, yep. I had my $10, I had, my pocket money was $10 a week. And for me, I thought that was a lot of money, so I would save all of that money, you know. Yeah. So people would say, oh, let's go out, I'm like, no, mm. I'm saving my money. Mm. So for me that was valuable, Yeah. In yep. The, you know, in setting myself up in, in Australia.
0: Yep. And I still have those kind of habits yeah. right now. Um, and so it's like those positive social connections were, were fulfilling your Maslow hierarchy of needs. Correct. Mm. Even when I didn't know it. Yes. So right now, what
1: is you know when I'm working with people, I know we're all dealing with stuff. So we can't really fulfill on a big vision unless we get our needs met as well. Wow. Whether we have we have workability in our finances, we've got workability in our with our life partners, you know. So for part of when working with people, I'm always ensuring that they're completely taken care of in their needs first. Yes. It's very hard to work on a big vision when our needs are not met. Mm. Mm. You know, we're actually jeopardize ourselves in the fulfillment of that vision. Yeah. Mm. You know, we have many starts and stops, starts and stops, stops, starts and stops. Mm. So I've, you know, been able to fulfill on getting an education in Australia was part of community fulfilling on my basic needs as mm. well. Mm. In addition, I worked. Andrew was very clear. When you come here, you're going to get a job at McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Mc- burgers. F- uh, you know, no, actually. Oh, no. no, no, no. What were you doing for? I was front counter boy. Oh. I was the front
0: counter boy. So Amazing. I remember going from Andrew. <laughs> I remember. And I loved it. I'm proud. Yeah. As you can tell,
1: I'm proud of that. Tremendous leadership programs there. Yes. Actually. And that was part of his reasoning. Yep. You're going to come here. You're gonna get a job and you're gonna be trained. Mm. So you're, you're not going to live off other people. You're going to um, discovering and um, having your own worth as well and contributing to your life, whatever that is. Yep. As you can imagine, my contribution was very tiny, mm. tiny, but the I had to be vested in the fulfillment of my vision. That's what Andrew was kept on training me. Don't care that you're from Zimbabwe. You mm-hmm. are going to be vested mm-hmm. in fulfillment of your own vision. Yeah, you're going to get a job. You're going to make money, and then we're going to look at your finances, and then you're going to contribute proportionately to what you earn. Yeah, you know. So th- those are some of the things that um, have had to help me be really a- an empowered black gay man. Mm-hmm. You know, in the world
0: today. Um, For, just, just love to get your your stance on or your, your idea around. For international students who are listening um, and adjusting to Australian life, what would be your main word of advice when it comes to making that transition? So making that transition, have a mentor,
1: have people or mentors, have people you can go to when you're dealing with stuff just to communicate and just to love you up. That's number one. That love means, you up. Yes, to mm. love you up. Yeah, yeah. that's a really yeah. <laughs> It's hard. You're away from everything you know. Mm. You're in a whole new culture. Mm. So it's important that you can be in a safe space to talk about things that are there, you know, to navigate everyday life. Yeah. Not just the studies, yep. literally everyday life, you know. And I was going through puberty. Mm. So I'm 16 years old so I'm still way through puberty as well so I'm not having all these different hormones happening and going up and down as well yep. so I'm like I don't know what's going on with my body I don't know what's going on with my mind and I've got this whole opportunity what do I do yep. you know some of my friends are going out to party. it's like I want to go and party too but no, I've got a vision to work on yep. <laughs> Yeah. so it's important to have people you can turn to that you trust um, just to talk yep. just to talk somebody who can take you to the movies mm. somebody who is like if everything all fails you can just go to yep. so even when with Andrew you know I actually moved out for my first year of university and then um, but I created with him like if things don't work out can I come back you know after the first year I moved back in and spent the next seven years in his home mm. you know so having just a safe space yeah totally to stuff up a safe mm. space to just go through life mm. Made a massive difference, and
0: Andrew was that space mm. as well. It's really like yeah, sharing space with someone. Like the difference between having your own thoughts in your mind, mm. but then having communicating those thoughts is yeah, yeah incredibly liberating. I feel mm. so that made that made a difference. Yeah, like I didn't necessarily talk to
1: Andrew yep. about
2: those kind of yep. things. I had other people to talk mm-hmm. to about those things. You well. really need a, a balance of people you go to, don't yeah. you? Yeah.
1: And that made a difference. Like even like when I finished year 12, my principal, because I, I studied law, so I was like, just going to be either the sciences, biomedical science, so that I become Patricia Connor, Dr. Cascenta, <laughs> <laughs> fulfill that fantasy, <laughs> yeah. or go into you know become a lawyer and fulfill on that a different kind of fantasy as well so mm-hmm. i'd make sure that i did subjects which allowed me to go either into the sciences and the law um, and just as simple as my principal saying you know my brother-in-law is a, a counter court judge i've arranged a meeting for you to go and talk to him about your options yeah makes made a difference and then he would say you know at that time you know um, there was the kind of snobbery of, oh, you go to Melbourne or Monash University if you're going to become a, a serious lawyer. I went to Melbourne University. Make sure you go to Melbourne University. You know, but it was great being able to have those kinds of conversations because mm. I didn't have that network.
2: Mm. Informational interviewing, then. Mm.
1: I did not have a network, mm. so I had to create yeah. everything yeah. in here in Australia. I had to create from nothing. Mm. You know, but as also a demand for it. Who can I talk to about it? And other people were a demand for it on my behalf, so I had advocates. Mm. So, I, looking back, I can see that there were people who were really vested in me winning.
0: Sure. So there's like the the support people who yes. are perhaps giving the the love the love yes loving you up, but then you've got the other support people who are also advocates in some cases as well.
1: Yes. Yeah. And this is how it showed up, you know. Um, I talk about the Ch- the Chomley family. The Chomley family, extraordinary. Um, they contributed over twenty-seven thousand dollars to my university fees over the next six years. Five thousand dollars would come into my bank account, no questions asked. No, no questions asked. No performance review. No nothing. Mm. So you can imagine what that's like for a eighteen-year-old boy. Five thousand dollars. Yeah. Coming into my bank account. It made me want to do better. Mm. It made me want to be the best kind of human being.
0: It's mm. interesting though okay, that, that you, yeah, that you that you took that mindset because perhaps someone else may take a different mindset around it. Mm.
1: Yes. That's the part of that
0: I find equally mm. inspiring. Mm. For me, how it lived like it's like I
1: have one chance. Yeah, life is not a dress rehearsal. You know, I have got one chance to make it. So I was like, I was quiet. So I had all these ideas. So. I'm not able to articulate my ideas. But in that time, I was like, wow, this person, this family really trusts me. How can I be a contribution back to really acknowledge? So I started a newsletter for communication. Every six months, I have a newsletter. I'd let them know. And the people were contributing to me what I'm up to. It had me do, you know, the social justice officer at Monash University. Scary. I was doing things I was scared out of my wits, mm. but it was things that I stepped into because people were investing in me. Mm. So it just felt natural to go beyond my own limiting beliefs because, mm. you know, Vulgari, who has arrived, is shy, he's quiet, you know, but they are like, no, we, we back your 110%. Mm. irrespective of whether you win or not. Yeah. That's amazing. Can yeah. you imagine having a person who just backs you 110% Yeah, exactly. and it's not based on, oh, because you've got a stellar A mm. you know, grade. Mm. I didn't have a stellar A grade, but because they believed in me, I started believing in myself. Mm. So that's made a massive difference in the kind of results that I produce in my life today. Yep. Even Andrew, you know, um, many people, here, you know, I don't know, many of you might, some of you being Australian, you might have had times when your mum and dad have contributed to you at different times in your life mm-hmm. when you're 20, when you're 30. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have that. Our Zimbabwe currency is worthless. Yeah. You know, yes, my brother contributed to me at one stage as well, which is amazing. You know, but that was hard for him to contribute. He was mm-hmm. just starting out in his own career. Yeah. Andrew contributed to me. He has lent he spent me over $50,000 starting out in my business. Again, an unsecured loan, believing in me. You know, and I failed in my business, mm. but I kept my word and paid him all back. Mm. You know, really, yeah, that's incredible. What was your first business that you failed? So I went, so in two thousand and fourteen, when I went out in business, I was like, I'm going to be a consultant. I'm going to help people bring things to life. You know, I'm going to work with them, get deals, and then that was my first. That was the first time I went out in business, and then I had my limiting business called. I'd go to meeting after meeting, and people wanted to work with me. I'm like they're pretending. How, why would they want to work with a black gay man? They're just being nice and polite. Mm. So I'd go home, open my laptop to send a proposal, and I just couldn't because I was like, they, this, I was just so, so stuck in my my self loathing. My I'm not really that. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy, and people
2: are just being nice. Even after. Even after all that stuff you yes. just said before, which was when you were 16, 17, 18, 9, 20, So I'd already 30. had all these
1: breakthroughs in my life. Yeah. But my game changed this is a different game this is now the game of business mm. so as human beings when we alter our games or our things can arise the things that you know different things show up mm. <laughs> mm. so my game became bigger so the kind of person that needed to fulfill on that game had to be also different mm. had to be transformed
0: so yeah that's yeah that's, <laughs> a, that's a really good point because I fear yeah so yeah sorry <laughs> you guys chat no no <laughs> I, <laughs> what, what is <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just processing because it takes me a little while to process sometimes but it's it's a really good point like a game that you're playing and you see it time and time again with like a young person there the game that they're playing is high school they've got a dial mm-hmm. game they go into is university you know they find some time to find their feet yes. they get a dial but then boom when they go into employment yes. completely different game with the rules or of all business. business or yes. business exactly yes. business again like the scale up like it's a completely different set of rules. It's, Correct. It's apples and oranges. It's soccer mm. and badminton. It's yes. like, yeah,
1: it's a completely different game with different, different yeah. rules and you know different beliefs and so different fears. Different yes. fears that yeah. showed up. So, so here I am. I've reached. i over one hundred twenty thousand dollars to go through university. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, no problem. So I didn't have any hex debt or any you know, debt inside of school fees. But then coming to business, I was like, oh, my God, you know, people actually are counting on me to deliver. Mm. It's all on me. And so there was the fear of failure
0: that showed up. Mm. What do you think was different between the time, though, that when people were investing in you you for university and you were confident in yourself to deliver then? Can you pinpoint
1: it? Yes, well what I can pinpoint was that how I was behaving in my business was very different from how I was behaving in my in my mm. university days. I stopped surrounding myself with community and being vulnerable with what I was up to. Mm. Because yeah, yeah. I had a belief that by now I, I should have it all handled. Ah, and yep. so So you're wearing a suit and tie, you're trying to act time, really in serious. Like I'm Rogaria, yes. I've got it all handled, yeah. I can deliver. Yep. You know? So I stopped doing the things I know that work. Yeah. So what I've now got to discover in my life is that the, the tools that I discovered through my high school days and university days thats actually the things that I continue to use right now as a 34-year-old young man. Mm. And what are they? Like? So I'm vulnerable. I yeah. share everything authentically with everything that I'm dealing with. Like in this, you know, in this room right now, Jared, my protege, is in this, this room. Mm. He knows everything that I, I deal with. I'm completely open with you both. you know, In our first mm. podcast, I shared mm. the things that I deal with in my areas of my life. Yeah, you shared heaps. But it was quite inspiration. You know, I, mm. I share what's happening in my relationship, my romantic relationship. I share what I deal with in my business. I share what I deal with being a black man. I share what... I share. I share. But I don't share from a position of pity me. No, I share from a position of that's what I'm distinguishing from myself and the things that I'm going to put in place to get to the next level,
2: mm. you know? And it you... starts by sharing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you um, unpack vulnerability a little bit and why you think it's so important based on your own experience? Yes. So if I had not been vulnerable,
1: there's no way you've, you would be in this room. i am being Zimbabwe or somewhere else. So being vulnerable, as simple as I don't have resources to go to university what i dealt with was um, i'm con- i'm a charity case you know i'm not as good as everybody else because everybody else seems to have it handled so you know so i felt lesser than because i had to ask for money mm. that's a limiting belief it's not the tr- it's not the case asking for money doesn't mean anything about my worth that's what i've got to discover
2: mm.
1: but during that period of time i was like oh my god i'm a charity case you know my other people just have it all handled somehow they've got the resources to get through things
0: i don't know if you've felt that in your journey of going on solo in your own business but i know i've definitely felt those moments where it's like ah oh, you know it's not necessarily working or and you don't you don't necessarily want to open up fully because it's like i'm a fraud exactly <laughs> you know and as businessmen
1: or business people um part of actually creating an extraordinary business is your capacity to be open and vulnerable and mm-hmm. actually share what you're dealing with, um, with people that get your world. Yep. So for me, I'm vulnerable and then I allow people to contribute to me. Doesn't mean I always act on what's being contributed to me, but by being vulnerable, I get to hear infinite ways of taking my life, my vision to the next level. Mm. And I get to choose. But how can people contribute if they don't know what's going on? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How, can my, how can my vision and living my legacy continue if I'm not actually sharing the things that I'm bumping up against? Mm-hmm. So I know I stopped sharing what I was dealing with. I stopped sharing that, do you know what? I feel like a fraud, like I'm a black mm-hmm. gay man, and I don't know why anybody would want to work with me. I don't know why you'd want to work with me. Why do you actually want to talk to me? So I'm going into meetings as a fraud. How, do exp- how am I expected to create an uh, extraordinary business if the person who's rocking up is a fraud? Mm-hmm. That is my limiting belief. Now I know that that's not who I am. That's not who anybody is. Mm-hmm. You know. So I've, I've passed the barrier of being a black man is in the way of doing business. But I own that now, and I can gift that mm-hmm. to 7 billion people mm-hmm. who hear that. You know, I have friends who are from China who think, oh, you know, I'm in Australia. White people won't want to do business with me, you know, as a limiting belief. Mm. I've had people at university, you know, I I, I love talking to university students, high school students, um, international students, who say, I haven't even applied for an internship because I'm an international student. And I'm like, no, Mm, that's a limiting belief. Yeah. You know. In 2008, during the height of the GFC, I got a job and I'm an international student.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Believe me, I yeah. know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you know, I know
1: exactly what I'm talking yeah. about. It's nothing to do with that. Mm. You know, mm. Until you start sharing and creating your vision and sharing it with people and what you're creating, people opt in.
2: People, people will move heaven and earth mm. to give mm. you what you want. It's, it's interesting because when you be vulnerable, people then feel like they've got a safe space to yes. be vulnerable. Like when we first yes. met you a month ago, you were so open, vulnerable, and honest. I feel like after knowing you now for like three hours, I feel like I could just tell you anything mm-hmm. because you've told me everything. Yes. So it's just like creates a space. Yes. yes. Breaks down the walls. Yeah, completely. And that's inside of my vision of
1: you know people being empowered and being able to live a wondrous life. Mm. We live in a culture where everything, where many people, Think that we have to be perfect, we have to have it handled, mm. but that's not where extraordinary businesses are coming from. Actually, yeah. if you know Brene Brown, she keeps on talking about the power of vulnerability. Mm. You know, Eckhart, you know, Tolle, the power of now being present and being able to be able to recognize what you are dealing with in that now. Mm. You know, so if you really look at um, people who are up to stuff and really living a legacy now, they're open and vulnerable with what mm. they're dealing with, and allowing people to contribute to them. Mm. not necessarily taking the actions but allowing people to contribute to them in yeah. that regard mm. so you know i'm open for contribution mm. all the time but i also get a choice because i'm the author of my life mm. so I, it's not at the expense of you know then people run my life for me no i'm always the author of my life i'm responsible for how
2: mm. life shows up for me in every moment mm. you just just happy for contributions I'm to completely. your book Completely. can you talk about um you spoke about eckhart toll or tolly and the power of now and he's all about living in the moment have you read his stuff and do you have any practical tips for the listeners about things you do because you come across to me as someone that's very present and yeah do you have things that you do yes because it's a daily thing yes
1: so I spend a lot of time in personal and professional development. Now nourishing myself is my number one priority. N- it's my number one. Not spending time with people, not having meetings, M- myself is my number one. I- and happy rugare happy world is the motto. My partner knows this <laughs> mm. <laughs> with, with happy rugare happy mm. world. Because a well-nourished me means that I'm available for people. What I notice is that we skimp on eating well, we skimp on personal time, we skimp on um, exercise. Those things don't allow me to play my big game. I'm out to touch and inspire the lives of a billion people. Mm. i better be healthy. Mm. i better be in the same framework of mine. So, one of the things I do, which works for me in the lifestyle I've created right now, so when I wake up, I can I typically wake up between 4am. Between 4am and 10am is me time. So it's all my time. I don't work on any client matters. I don't respond to any emails, unless I choose to in my me time as a choice. Um, I eat my breakfast, I read books, I listen to my audiobooks, mm-hmm. I work on my strategy and my vision. It's all about me. And so you wake up at 6am on average, or Yeah, so like today I've been up since 5am, tomorrow I'll be up at 4.30 in the morning and then I have, you know, my Fridays is my time with my bestie Jessica Taft, you know we've got a standing Friday um, catch up and it's off the charts, we're just contributing to each other, this is what happened today, this is what I bumped up against, this is where I broke down, this is where I felt really disempowered. Every morning? No, every Friday. Every Friday morning? Every every Friday, 7.30 to 8.45am. (laughs) <laughs> yeah Aaron fifteen oh,
2: Yeah, yes. Aaron fifteen <laughs>
1: <Yes>. <laughs> of our lives. And it's high intense energy. Mm. And we love it. We have grown together. She's been my she's my first friend, my my first true friend. We met on the third of March two thousand and three in um, legal process and we've been friends ever since.
0: that's so. a 19- It's like you when you call me after you finish. Uh, yeah. 5 pm. Yeah, I've been thinking about
1: this. It's amazing that mm. the kind of friendship. It's like the deaths that we've gone through. Mm. The things, you know, we, we went through the journey of coming out together, you know, the fear of being mm. ostracized by our families, the promises we made to each other that we'd never commit suicide, take drugs inside of what's possible, and role models for other gay people in society we have kept an honourable word and our relationship just gets on getting sweeter. It's mm. amazing. Yeah. And it you know, becomes a ritual
2: when it's every week at this time. No matter what, correct. it becomes like ritualistic, yes. doesn't it? And sometimes we travel. So
1: sometimes I'm in mean, the Sunshine Coast and we do it via video calls. If we're overseas, we create new structures. So we find a way. Because mm. our relationship is critical to the foundation of what we're up to for the fulfilment of people being in that empowered and enabled to live a woman's life. Yes. as an example. So a ritual is my self-nourishment and my self-care and also my friendships. Very important. Very, very important. I never skip on my relationship with my family. My family have access to me at any time, any, anywhere in the world. Um, and so do the people I call my friends.
0: Mm. I reckon that's a, the first action for our listeners is to prioritise themselves and to prioritise... And develop a ritual with a very important person to them. Yes, I think that creates the foundations of self growth. Correct. There's nothing
1: I can't share with her. Mm. We've gone. Th- we've gone through it all. Like as simple as coming back from Zimbabwe and um and South Africa, and my uncle during the height of the crisis in Zimbabwe in two thousand eight, he started a school, and they're not waiting for anybody to contribute to them in a village. And I'm so inspired by that and I'm sharing with Jess, Jess, you know, they have created a school, they're not waiting for any donors. And the kids who attend the school made their own bricks for the school. Mm. How inspiring is that? And yeah, I'm like, what's my contribution in this? Mm. You know, it's just like Rugari, you've got to fulfill on that. So she is a person who doesn't listen who only listens to me as my greatness, mm. not as my circumstances.
0: Mm. Rugari, it's been an absolute pleasure where can people find you
1: people can find me um at my personal website www.rugaregomo.com. you know you can find me there my contact details are there um you can follow me on linkedin facebook and instagram same handle (laughs) um, or the gomo foundation so anything with Gomo, you'll be able to find me in that regard and i'll spell that out for you r for rabbit, U-D-A-R-E-D-O-M for mouse, O.
0: Oh. Love it. We'll put the links in the uh, right. bio. But um, mate, thank you so much. Um, both Dan and I really appreciate thank it. Thanks for sharing. So and you know,
1: the last thing I just want to say is like, you know, if I can make it here, anybody can make it. So whatever you're feeling or going through, know there is actually tools to empower you to start fulfilling your authentic life don't get stuck with what you think are your circumstances anything is possible talk to somebody if somebody doesn't give you that answer talk to another person Mm. until you get your answer that's what i just want to leave the listeners with perfect